Hey y'all! Welcome to Wander, Forage, and Wildcraft. I'm Abby Artemisia of The Wander School. Each episode, I bring you stories, tips, and tricks from foragers and wildcrafters around the world to empower you on your wild path. Please remember to practice safe foraging by being 100% positive of your identification before consuming anything wild. Happy listening! Come on, everyone, and gather around. Listen to the soothing in this sound. I'm here to tell you that medicine don't come from a pill, it grows in the ground. The medicine we need grows all around us. Hi, and welcome back. Happy New Year. I'm so excited for a new year of the podcast. And I'm super excited for our guest today because it's my teacher, Leslie Williams, and she has been my teacher for a very long time. Hi, Leslie. Hey, Abby. (laughs) So I will let Leslie introduce herself in just a second, but I just love the story that she tells me (laughs) about how we met, which was in Cincinnati, Ohio, at the Northside Farmer's Market when I had a tea business. And I have forgotten this, but I'm so glad that you remember it, that we would see each other when I was selling tea at the market. And I kept begging you to teach me herbalism. And finally, you agreed. (laughs) And so then we started classes in your living room. And it was wonderful. And since then, we have been doing distance education as we have both moved to different cities and different states. So it's so great to be able to introduce you to my audience and for everybody to get to know what you do better. And you have one of the most interesting and varied backgrounds of anybody I know. (laughs) 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 So I hope that you'll share that with everyone. So. Leslie Williams, would you like to tell us about yourself? I could probably do that, yeah. So I live in I live in Georgia outside of Atlanta and I have lived in Atlanta in years past and decades past. I grew up in North Florida. Both my grandfathers had farms, although like one of them grew watermelons and peanuts and was living on a lake, so he ate a lot of fish. And the other one had uh, mostly we ran cattle on the woods and we grew some oats, but it wasn't like a farm like you think of in Ohio. We always had gardens and we always foraged. We went hunting and fishing. And I grew up in Jacksonville mostly on the river. So we ate shrimps and crabs and fish. And and in the summers, we were in Western North Carolina. So we learned a lot of those plants too. My family didn't go to the doctor unless they really had to. They were much more interested in just taking care of ourselves. So I learned a whole lot from my grandmothers and my mom and learned about plants and trees. Yeah. So, you know, as I as I grew up, I really didn't 
know what I wanted to be to grow up. So I ended up working in food co-ops. And that's really how I got into the what now is the business of herbalism. At the time, it, it was not really particularly business. Now it's an industry. So they kind of came together what I already knew from growing up in the, in the South and, um, and what I learned in the business after, after we, we would sell herbs in food co-ops. Yeah. And then I studied, I've studied with quite a few people you've probably never heard of because they're just kind of grassroots herbalist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have more questions? <laughs> I could go on for an hour if you want, but. <laughs> well, I know that you've done a lot of things in your life, had a bunch of different jobs and positions and a lot of experience. And I know that you've been a bike mechanic and a cook. There's something in your description about being a Tenzo. So can you tell me about that? Because I had to look that one up. Oh, right. Well, I have worked in natural food restaurants and vegetarian restaurants and not quite vegetarian restaurants. Uh worked for quite a while in Atlanta at Eat Your Vegetables as a cook and and in Athens, Georgia, it at the El Dorado, which turned into the Bluebird Cafe. So yeah, that was that was being a cook. Being a Tenzo is in a in a Zen Buddhist temple is what the what the cook, the person who runs the kitchen, is called, and it's a it's a meditation practice in itself. Really, being a tenzo, and you don't have to be in a Zen temple. You don't have to be Zen to have cooking be a meditation in itself. The way you approach it with attention and you know gratitude. Some of it it sounds kind of trite, but if you do it every day, it really can grow into quite a, a a practice that's really grounding and thinking about the food, all the food you you cook and where it came from. And you don't have to be a good cook. You just have to be able to cook and be respectful of, of your food and and have good intention. So it's just a, a way of being conscious about your food. So yeah, I am a Tenzo. I mean, I have been for years, decades, at different sanghas, different Zen centers as well as just in my life. So yeah, that's important how we interact with our food. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes how you feel about your food is more important than what you eat. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely agree with that. It's so interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So now I work more as a clinical herbalist and I work with people who have health conditions or health concerns or some health issues. And I have certainly, you know, if I get hit by a bus, I really don't want you to give me a cup of herb tea. I want you to take me right away to the ER. But there are a lot of conditions where there's not a magic pill or a special surgery that's going to heal it. A lot of conditions really do require a holistic approach and lots of, of different different things, including herbs, especially herbs and food, and herbs are food. So I do work with people who have some of those kind of conditions, autoimmune conditions, nutritional things, just to improve their quality of life. And I would never claim that I could heal someone or cure someone or even diagnose something, but I do know quite a few things 
from my experience and my training that can also be really supportive of people and, and their health. And a lot of people I work with don't have a lot of money or means. And some of them don't even have a lot of education about plants, but there's an incredible pharmacy, an apothecary everywhere, a traditional medicine that if we understand that and how to work with it, it's right here for us. And so I really want to empower people to do that. So not just tell them here, drink this tea, take this herb. I want to explain it to them so that they can they can find it themselves if it's possible and be more self-sufficient. I think that's empowering, not, not that they'd always rely on me. Mm-hmm. And, and teaching other people to be herbalist is, is I think probably my work now because I'm old and uh, that beats the alternative, but it's slowed me down some. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that. I mean, Anyone who has learned from me has probably heard me talk about you. And <laughs> I'm so grateful for all these years of working together. And I think a lot of who I am as an herbalist is because of you. So I'll just take a chance publicly to say thank you. Well, I learned a lot from you, Abby. I, I certainly do. Thanks. Yeah, I, uh, there's so much I want to say, but before I forget, I do want to remember to say for all of you listening that if you like the podcast, will you please like it on whatever platform you're listening to it on and subscribe so you can get all the future episodes and leave us comments because we really like to hear what you think about this. You can also support the production of the podcast and get cool bonus materials like a bonus interview from this episode where Leslie and I will be talking about trees and trees as food and medicine because she has an upcoming tree class and is one of the most knowledgeable people I know when it comes to trees. So you can get that by becoming a patron on Patreon for as little as five bucks a month. And that is at patreon.com slash the wonder school. So yeah, one reason that I wanted to talk to Leslie is because she is probably the first person who really put the idea of foraging and wildcrafting in my head. And uh, is the reason why I have such a large percentage of wild plants in my apothecary. So I would love to hear more about how you got started foraging and wildcrafting. You mentioned just a little bit about some of the wild things that grew around you when you were growing up. But could you share a little bit more about that and your experience? Growing up, foraging, and wildcrafting since then? I sure can, yeah. Well, as a a kid, like my grandfather, we'd go hiking in in North Carolina in the mountains, and there would be wild persimmons and pawpaws. Those were probably, and then in North Florida in the fall, there's muscadines, there's wild grapes, and also blackberries. I didn't know there was any flavor of jam or jelly besides blackberry till I grew up because we would pick buckets of them and my my grandmother and my mom would 
make jelly and jam, and then they'd make grape juice out of the grapes. So that sort of thing, we we definitely did. And I'm trying to think, as time's gone by, I've branched out and and used a lot more not just not just food that you eat but um but also medicine but i i have a an example of one of my favorite foraging examples was in Cuyahoga Falls Ohio in northern ohio right in the on this sort of the strip there was a a lot of little shops and there was a McDonald's and if you went on the block behind the McDonald's you backed up to the McDonald's there was a whole row of, of rainier cherry trees that someone had planted at least 60 years ago. They were really old trees, really, really big, sturdy trunks. And they had these white cherries on them. They were like covered. And there were, I'd say, five of them, maybe the whole block on this side. And the McDonald's backed up to it. And so people were coming around through the McDonald's in their cars going through the drive-thru and I could smell the McDonald's and I and I could hear people ordering their orders of fries and burgers <laughs> and and cokes and I meanwhile I'm on the street that backs up to it standing on top of the hood of my truck <laughs> re- picking like 5 gallon buckets full of these white cherries that were just incredibly delicious which I pitted and froze and, and then we just ate tons of them every year. But it was just a great kind of counterpoint doing those two things and, and also remembering that a lot of incredible wild, wild food is you don't have to go far out into the wilderness for it. It's right there. There was also another, actually over in Akron, there was a, another McDonald's and, and not too far from it, is where I used to harvest all of my mugwort because there was just a whole field there of of invasive mugwort. And, you know, there it was. No, you know, no one had sprayed it. There was no salt coming off the road on it. It was it was very healthy. And if you just look, it's amazing what kind of food medicine and herbs are out there. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. So McDonald's are good places to forage. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, that is super cool. And I love you. (laughs) Leslie sent me some of her answers to my questions, which was super helpful ahead of time. And I love what you said about why you forage. So could you share that with everyone, please? I can't remember what I said, Abby. (laughs) I'm sure it was good, huh? Well, I can just read it. Um, I mean, it's it's certainly a lot of people I work with can't afford to get herbs from China or herbs from Europe or wherever they were harvested and then shipped here. A lot of them are fumigated on their way across the border. Some companies don't don't use pesticides, but even then, they're old. I don't know the energy of them. I don't know where they grew, even if they're certified. There are lots of certifications for organic, but Closer to home is way better. I know where it's been, and I know the energy and the intention of it. And even if it's something that doesn't go right here where I am in Georgia, if it's something that a friend of mine in Ohio grew or wildcrafted, I still feel that's a lot more comfortable with that than something from another continent. And yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, it's the economy, but it's also the carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some other things that you have written were that it's much more sustainable and responsible, which is kind of what you were saying that they're fresh and we can be empowered to harvest ourselves, which I love. Knew that they grew with no sprays, no runoff, and that you forage lots of invasive trees and plants, which was something that I really wanted to talk to you about, along with this part about you replenishing native herbs by sowing wild seeds. So... I think all of those things are so important and things that I learned from you. So can you talk some more about invasives? Because I learned so much about them from you and I, I love letting people know about them and because I think that they're, they get so much bad press. <laughs> so it's important for people to know what can you do with invasives? Right. They do get bad press, and some of them deserve bad press. But at the same time, I have this theory that most plants are here for a reason. We might have made a niche in the in the ecology that they've moved into because it was opened up. But they're here also. A lot of them, if you really think about it and, and do some research, they're useful for things that are happening uh, right now for health conditions and issues like that. So. So I do love to use invasive plants and to keep learning about plants that have come here, not just curse them, but to find them in other traditions where they maybe used to live, like China or Korea or Japan, Southeast Asia. Lots and lots of plants have come here to where I am in the in the southern USA. And they have a long tradition of medicine. And so like kudzu is a really good example of that. And most people have an image of kudzu taking over barns and fields and houses. But it's at the same time, I don't know if it still is, but it used to be the number one remedy in Japan for arthritis, the root of kudzu. And you can use the root, you can powder it up as a flower, you can buy it in a health food store, but it's expensive. But if you dig it yourself, it's a lot of work, but you can get a a lot of it. It's also really useful for pain of nerve pain, like shingles pain. David Winston says it's probably his, his number one remedy for, for nerve pain. And, and that's a hard thing to address. Mm-hmm. So we need to keep that in mind about kudzu. It has a lot of other properties, but I'll, I won't go on in too much detail. But like Multiflora rose, which was brought here to make head, you know, hedges and fences and has just gone wild and taken over whole understories of forests, has wonderful rose hips. They're little, really small little rose hips. They'll last through the winter. They're pretty good for birds, which is why they get spread. But they're also great for herb tea, for a nice vitamin C herb tea. And also the leaves of multiflora rose You might know that like raspberry leaf and blackberry leaf are very nice rose family astringents. They make a nice tea and they're good for women's reproductive health. They're a good tonic. But you can use multiflora rose leaves just as well as an astringent. It's it's quite tasty or just dried, kind of like black tea. So privet, Abby, you wanted me to mention privet. There are quite a few kinds of privet. And the kind that we use most is the common 
Chinese privet that's invasive across eastern North American woods now. And it has gray kind of uh, flat colored berries on it in big bunches. And if you look in Chinese medicine, it's used a lot for an adrenal tonic for people that are just burned out. And we certainly do see a lot of that in our society right now, people who do burn out for very good reason. But it, it can be a good tonic, those berries. You want to be careful. Not all varieties of privet are as are really healthy and safe. So, but they're pretty simple to identify if you if you get a get a book. So I can talk more about like albizia, mm-hmm. commonly known as mimosa, which used to just be in the south when I was a little kid. But now I've seen it in Cleveland as an invasive. And so it's all the way up to the Great Lakes, and it's the tree of happiness, and it really is quite useful for lots of kinds of gloom. I think of it as a as, as a tree for people that just have that kind of gloomy Eeyore kind of affect. And again, with very good reason, many of us have reason to do that. But at the same time, to lighten your spirit, the flowers of it are really remarkable in a in a tea or a tincture. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I can go on, Abby. Do you want me to talk about Yeah, well, uh, the other two that I would love it if you talked about would be Tree of Heaven and Autumn Olive. Oh, yeah. Okay, Tree of Heaven, Alanthus. It's a very, very invasive. It's a, it's a tree that if you just look at it and you're not really sure, it can look like sumac, like a staghorn or a smooth sumac. Yeah. Because it has a compound leaf that's really similar, but the leaves are actually bigger and it can get a lot taller than a sumac as well. When they bloom, you can certainly tell the difference and they don't get those staghorns, those those red spikes on them that the sumacs get. And it is called Tree of Heaven, also called Stink Tree or Alanthus. And it's kind of a... I mean, it's called stink tree for a reason, right? It's not a very fragrant tree. And it's called tree of heaven because it grows so fast. Anyway, you'll find it in parks and along roadsides. A lot of it was planted in New York City. and There's still quite a few of them there. But all across Ohio, you see them. They're here in, in Georgia. I saw them in Maine along some of the trails. And they're useful as a antifungal. And it, it's great. I like black walnut a lot as an antifungal, but Alanthus is really quite good and pretty broad spectrum. So you can extract it even in vinegar, mm-hmm. just a bunch of twigs. You don't have to get really fancy about it. Put it in some vinegar. So if you do have, you know, fungal conditions and, you know, it's not always, this is a magic pill for all funguses, but it's very useful and worth gathering and having on hand in your in your home first aid kits, Tree of Heaven. And what was the other? Oh, Autumn Olive. That is one of my favorite, favorite berries. It's a sparkle berry, and they're beautiful. They're this interesting kind of scarlet red with little gold swirly things on it. It's little berries. They have, they have big seeds in them, and they're like a sweet tart. People, some of the folks down at United Plant Savers made a bunch of wine one year from them, which was which was pretty tasty. I, I don't drink wine, but I had a taste. It's good. 
is it's a little interesting, but you know, why not? Anyway, that's one of my favorite like trail side foods, especially to just nibble. But also the leaves of it, it's a wall, it's in the olive family. And if you've been in a health food store and you've seen olive leaf tincture for $20 for an ounce as an antimicrobial, because it's an excellent antimicrobial, antibiotic, antiviral, antifungal, you can use autumn olive leaf extracted in either vodka and vinegar. You can make a tea from it if you if you wanted to, maybe maybe not as strong. Any of those would be would be fine. So why not? It it's like people will beg you to take it out of their yard because it, it will get really huge and out of control. Easy to find. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so great to know what to do with it besides of course eating it. I actually had somebody email me once that asked if they could hire me to harvest the berries eight hours a day because they were calling them lycoberry because the high amount of lycopene in the berries. Yeah. They were so valuable that they were propagating them, which was causing some concern for me. <laughs> and I also want to... Yeah, they're, they're thorny. Yeah, I didn't want to pick berries for eight hours a day either. <laughs> no! But it's uh, so great to know that these invasives that a lot of people curse are very medicinal and oftentimes food as well. So it's great to know what we can do with them. So thanks so much for sharing that. I appreciate it. And if you are just coming into the episode now, I'll remind you that we're here with herbalist Leslie Williams, my teacher. And I want to say a big thank you to all of my patrons on Patreon for making this possible. It's actually quite a lot of work and quite an investment to make a podcast episode. So if you're able to support the work, I would love that. And you can do that at patreon.com slash the wander school. For as little as $5 a month and get awesome bonuses, including the interview that Leslie and I will do about tree medicine right after this episode. So moving on, one other thing amongst the many that I love about how you teach Leslie is that you teach about non-alcoholic formulas. So I know that a lot of the clients you work with don't consume alcohol for various reasons. And so I've learned a lot from you about how to make medicine without alcohol in it. And if you don't mind just taking a minute, we're going to talk in a couple minutes here about the recipe that you shared that will be on the blog at thewanderschool.com connected to this episode, and that will be for cherry bark oxymel. But if you don't mind just sharing real quick about some of your favorite non-alcoholic formulas, just to inspire people for what they can do, that would be great. Well, okay. Well, first, I want to just say, we need to open our minds a little bit and realize that a lot of herbs are food and a lot of food is medicine. So 
sometimes we don't even have to make a formula. We can throw herbs into our oatmeal. It's really easy. We can throw cinnamon into our applesauce or allspice, which is a great Caribbean herb. Things like that, we don't even think about as herbal medicine, but really a lot of those kind of things are. So wait a minute, Abby. You want to know, oh, some non... So glycerin, people talk about glycerin. It doesn't get very good press in a lot of herb books, but most recipes you'll find for herbal honeys can be changed over to use glycerin if you don't want to use honey. And for people who are diabetic, sometimes that's a really big concern because they're watching their blood sugar really closely. So there's a traditional way, and, and I talk about it in a cherry bark oxymel, to use use vinegar and extract herbs in vinegar, herbs, bark, seeds, flowers, what have you, leaves. And sometimes you say, oh, I don't want it. I don't really like apple cider vinegar that well. I don't want it to taste like a salad. Use rice vinegar. It's just, you know, it's just as available and it, it's pretty much not going to have that flavor of apple cider. You can definitely do that. And then, then you have a vinegar. Some people don't like vinegar and vinegar isn't always going to be the most flavorful way to give someone a, say, a cough remedy. So you could, you can add honey and that's when it's called an oxymel. And there's an incredible range of recipes. So some people say equal amounts. Some people say half as much honey. Some people say twice as much. It really is up to you. And you have to taste it and see if this tastes like something you would like or your child would like or your grandmother would like as a remedy. Anyway, so that that's one approach. Is that is that going to yeah. make sense? Yeah, that's great. I mean, I've, I've also, because I went to your class, oh gosh, I don't even remember which conference it was at, but about, I think it was called like the non-alcoholic herbalist or something yep. like that. And just the, the variety of different medicines you mentioned just blew me away. Like herbs used in maple syrup and herbs infused in miso. And molasses. And molasses. Yeah. There were just so many that I just never would have even thought about. So I just want to encourage people to think about, I think there's just so much out there in herbalism. You just hear tincture this, tincture that. And it can be also intimidating to new herbalists because the deeper you get into it, you know, you'll hear about ratios and <laughs> and it just like gets so mathematic. And I just want to encourage people to get back to our roots of folk herbalism and remind you that one, you don't have to measure tinctures if you don't want to. And two, that, yeah, like you said, herbs as food, and also that we can infuse herbs into all sorts of, of other things that you may not have thought of. Well, you can also make sprouts if you have fenugreek, if you have all kinds of seeds, uh, sunflower seed sprouts, you, those are very medicinal. You need to not overlook like alfa, even alfalfa sprouts, if you make them at home, are great tonic and, and a lot more easier to get in, into you as food than uh, in a capsule or tincture. Yes, definitely. And so let's talk about this oxymel. I haven't seen your recipe yet, <laughs> but I learned from you about 
a more ethical, sustainable way to harvest bark. And so instead of harvesting bark, what do you do? And, and can you tell a little bit about that for people who may not have done it before? Oh, right. I would never, like on a tree trunk, if I'm standing there and it's an eye hike, I would never take a patch of bark off of a tree, just like cut a square off or a strip off. That's that's pretty brutal, I think, to the tree. And I should probably never say never, but it's not something I think is, is recommended. But I do use twigs a lot. And on some trees, like apples and crab apples, you see little sucker suckers coming up from the base of the tree. I'll cut those off absolutely, and I'll take off twigs. If branches cross one another, and I'm talking about smaller branches, I will definitely trim one so that they're not rubbing against each other just for the health of the tree as well. <laughs> Anything smaller than my little finger, I won't even peel. I'll just cut it up and I'll put it in alcohol or I'll, I'll dry it as a, to use for tea over the winter or I'll put it in oil to make an, a salve. But if it's bigger than my little finger, I will peel it. And mostly the best time to peel bark is when the, it's fresh when when the branch has just been cut. If you wait a couple of weeks and 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 if you're lazy like me and you don't do it right away, it's really much harder often to peel the bark. And sometimes there's an outer bark that's just like almost like really thin skin. You don't really need to worry about that. That's you don't have to fish all that out of there because you really want the inner bark. Right. And when you say the size of your pinky. You mean like the width or the circumference, right? Yeah, the circumference of the of the twigs. They can be pretty large twigs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that is super helpful. What, in your opinion, is the best time of year to harvest twigs? Well, the best time of year to trim trees, if you're actually going in and trimming them, is usually in the early spring before they bloom. Mm-hmm. But twigs, you can pretty much t- t- take twigs anytime through the through the year, not when they're sleeping in the winter, mm-hmm. when the leaves have fallen off. They need to be flexible so that there's some sap in them, some life in them. And of course, there's going to be a different medicine in, or in a twig that you harvest in the spring to one you harvest in the late autumn. Right. It's a, and some of that's just energetic. I can't really describe it to you. You just have to realize that there is a little bit of difference. It's not standardized. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to bring that up to just put that in people's heads to start thinking about now, since we're going to be coming up on that time, some sooner than later, like we were just talking about this the other day, and you said that down there, your apple trees already have fresh buds on them. That's right. (laughs) Up here, I'm sitting in my house looking out at a snowstorm. (laughs) Not exactly the time yet, but time to get ready for that. So is there anything that you would like to share? I mean, I'm sure there's plenty, but when I asked in the questionnaire what your some of your favorite herbs are, you mentioned cherry and wanting to share this cherry bark oxymel recipe with us. So can you expand a little bit? on why you love cherry so much? Well, I think actually cherry is a lot of varieties of cherry, but cherries, I've, I've read that 
It's the most common understory tree in the eastern forests of North America. And it's kind of an, an hard to even notice little spindly tree in the understory in, in the woods. You don't notice it too much, but it's pretty unassuming. But it's just amazing if you've ever tasted an oxymel made from cherry bark, you're hooked because it tastes more like cherries than eating a cherry. It's super strong cherry flavored. And that's why cough syrup, cough drops both are traditionally cherry flavored. Now they're dyed red and they have some kind of artificial flavor. But for hundreds of years, it was the bark of the cherry that was used. And it, it's just an incredibly good taste, the flavor of it. So that's that's why I like it so much. And and people, compliance is hard as a herbalist. You know, people, they know this is good for them, but it's really hard to remember to take it. But cherry bark oxymel, people like it. You put it on the kitchen counter, they walk by, they'll take it if they have a cough, a respiratory condition. And it can really help relax all of the whole respiratory system, that tightness. And it's soothing and it helps get mucus out. It's an expectorant, and it's it's much safer than you know some of the pharmaceuticals. It does have a long history of use, so it's it's common. It's it's not an exotic. It's just pretty much available everywhere. So I think that's why I like it, and I like it because I make it with just vinegar, and usually I use honey. Yeah, Mm-mm. so good. Anyone can make it. And I've made it before and combined it with fire cider, which was actually really nice too. We call it fire, we called it cherry bomb fire cider. So it's a lot of cherry cider flavor. It was, it was quite good and people liked it. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm going to have to try that. Mm-hmm. So do you tend to cook your oxymels or just throw them in and let them happen passively? I do either one. Sometimes I do put up quite a bit and let it just sit in the back of the closet for a while. And if I'm in a hurry and suddenly someone says, where's my gallon of oxymel? I, I could heat some on low heat, like in an instant pot or a yogurt maker, maybe. Mm-hmm. Oh, for 24 hours. Yeah. Really low heat. No, and I could do that. It, it's possible, and it's it's not a bad thing. I think you probably lose a little bit of the aromatics, but it, it's not it's not trouble. No, okay. but usually I I do usually let them just sit because it's easier. And when you do that, are you working with dried twigs at that point? No, I almost always use pretty fresh. I might, if it's real wet, and and sometimes it is, and they they seem wet, I'll let them sit around for a day or two to dry out a little bit, because mm-hmm. I just don't want too much water in my oxymel. But no, I, I don't necessarily dry them. Okay, good to know. And I would love it also if you would share, because another thing that I learned from you that I think is super valuable that a lot of people don't know is the medicine of apple and crab apple. Right. Okay. Well, apple, my teacher taught me this. 
he said that if you're making a wand, Harry Potter type wand, apple is actually the best wood to use. There's people that disagree with this, and I appreciate that. But I found that apple does make a pretty good wand. So we're a little off topic, I know. So, but crab apple traditionally, I learned, and this was from William Lassassier, an herbalist. I learned a lot from he. He used crab apple as a tonic for the lower GI, for the gut, and basically just to make crab apple apple bark tincture or tea, and it really tones up the whole lower GI, which can get you know really unhealthy for various reasons, if we take a lot of antibiotics, if we go on a bad binge of food and drink, or even just a lot of stress, if that's where we keep our stress. Crab apple as a tincture or a tea is a really good tonic. It's very safe. You can you can do it for a long period of time, add it to your daily day. So yeah, that's kind of what I know about it. I, I found it really does seem to work quite well for help help people. Yeah. Yeah, and I wanted to put that out to people because I know that we have a fair amount of homesteaders listening and you'll be getting ready to prune your apple trees. So that's exactly. you can do with the twigs. Yes, exactly. You can use service berry too. Mm-hmm. And also cooked apples. As well, right? Cooked apples are one of the best things for restoring your gut health. I mean, you can go and buy a lot of pills of acidophilus and bifidus, and and that's great. But uh, just cooked apples, cooked apples with, you can also put, you know, chai herbs in, put some cinnamon in it. But it's the cooked apples. They have a lot of pectin in them and a lot of nutrition, but they're really easy to digest. They'll get your flora back. It'll be a good part of of doing that work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to put ground spice bush berries in mine. Yeah, that is good for sure. Yeah, great. Well, gosh, we could just go on all day for sure. There's so much to talk about. Maybe you can come back. But I want to give you a chance to talk about what you're doing currently because you have a lot of classes coming up this year. So will you share with us about those? I will. Thanks, Abby. I'm doing one thing that I've been doing now for more than seven years with Leslie Alexander, who's an herbalist in Erie, Pennsylvania. Together, we teach online an herbalist roundtable, and it's it's usually up to nine herbalists in it. It's online. And each person brings a case and it doesn't mean you have to have a clinic or anything. You could, you know, you can talk to your best friend and, or anyone you like about some health condition and then bring it to the group. And we, we ask questions. We, we talk about how would we assess what's going on with that person and that condition What are some herbal ideas? What are some holistic ideas for food, for movement, for anything that might be helpful? What what else questions should be asked? So that's coming up in February. We we do that. It's a 10-week session of the Herbal Roundtable. Then actually, Leslie and I are also doing a class this whole year. It's a whole year program called a practicum. And it's it's basically uh, basic basic clinical work, but we don't just 
talk at you. We don't just talk about herbs. Everything is applied. Everything's in a context of, of real life. Of We'll talk about coughs. And so you, you're going to learn about a lot of herbs that are good for coughs and colds and what kind of coughs there might be. And how would you figure that out by actually talking about it in a context of real life? So we're going to go through systems of the body for the year and and work that way. I think it's going to be really good. We will have assignments. There will be homework. You have to do a major project. So there'll be a lot of self-study involved. We only meet eight hours a month, but we're really excited about that program. It's, I think, going to be really fun. And then, because I'm working on finishing up my book on tree medicine, I'm going to be doing a tree medicine class that's Oh, February to July, every other week online. And it's basically going to be on North North American trees in the East. But if a tree has moved here from somewhere else, we'll, we'll talk about that too. And probably a few trees that are in your kitchen cabinet. But mostly we're going to talk about trees that are out there growing or trees that are landscape trees, any sort of tree that's that's around that we might be able to use for medicine. and and lots of ways to do that. So I'm really excited and happy about that. Mm-hmm. Well, for anybody listening, I would highly recommend learning from Leslie any chance that you can. I just finally got to take her clinical herbalist course last year, which was wonderful and gained so much knowledge from it. So Leslie, how can people find you? Ordinaryherbalist.com is my website. You can always send me a message that way too. Also, if you don't remember that's kind of long, you can always go to grayrat.com. That's that's my other alias. Yeah, and those links will be in the blog at thewanderschool.com or if you go to the podcast page, you can find those links and Leslie's recipe for her cherry bark smell. Before we close out, Leslie, is there anything else that you think that is important that you want to share? No, I guess I just want to say to everybody, you don't have to like say, oh, but I'm not an herbalist. Because if you use herbs at all, you're an herbalist. You might be an herbalist just starting out or an herbalist who does only certain things, but you are an herbalist and the world really needs you to be an herbalist and keep learning and exploring all the trees and plants out there and and the uses yeah that's probably the most important thing i learned from you yeah i hope so yeah and i try and pass it on and the world does need more herbalists and you can be any kind of herbalist that you want you don't have yep so yeah i just want to encourage everyone who is listening to please do the good work Please pass it on, share what you have learned today. Please like and share this episode and the podcast. Please subscribe so you can get the new episodes. And please support the production on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Wander School, starting at just $5 a month. And for $10 a month, you can get the Wild Forage Life cookbook, which is exciting. And Leslie and I are about to record our bonus interview on tree medicine, which will be available there as well. 
So thank you so, so much, Leslie Williams, for being here. I really appreciate you. Thank you, Abby. You're welcome. And thanks to everyone for listening. Happy wandering, foraging, and wildcrafting. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wander, Forage, and Wildcraft. Don't forget to check the show notes for all of the links from today's episode. Thanks so much to Tina and her pony for the use of their beautiful song, Medicine. I love hearing from all of you, so please leave me your comments. And if you like what you've heard, please rate and review this podcast and share with folks you know. You can keep learning and following my adventures on thewanderschool.com and the Wanderschool Facebook and Instagram pages. Happy wandering, foraging, and wildcrafting. Come on, everyone, and gather around. Listen to the soothing in this sound. I'm here to tell you that medicine Don't come from a pill, it grows in the ground The medicine we need grows all around